0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله Sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama kathiran ila yawm So my dear respected brothers, our sisters, nice to be in your midst again after a, quite, a, quite a while. Unfortunately, um, you guys had some work going on, I've had some work going on as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala joined us together again, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join us together in Jannatul Firdaus. Because our series that we've been discussing here Are those people who've been given the glad tidings of paradise And as a believer we need to take good omens We need to, when something, when there's a good name about Prophet used to do this as well there was something with a good name Then he would make a a relevant statement to that So if we're speaking about the ten that have been given The glad tidings of jannat, of paradise Then why not ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That oh Allah we've Sat here and gathered here to speak about these ten people. We're not going to be of their level, inshallah. Uh, that's a very high level, but inshallah, Allah give us some barakah and blessing, so that inshallah we also enter into Jannah. Amen. So we've spoken about Abu Bakr radiyallahu an, Umar radiyallahu an, Uthman radiallahu an, and Ali radiyallahu an. Then we've moved on to. We did Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, radiyallahu What a fascinating story that was. And then we did sa ibn Abi Waqqas, radiyallahu Today we move on to Az-Zubair, Az-Zubair ibn al Awam, radiyallahu The The name in Arabic is always written as Az-Zubair. I know we generally, when we name somebody, we call him Zubair. I had a classmate in my class, his name is Zubair. Suddenly one day he started telling everybody he's Az-Zubair. And we thought, where, where are you getting this from? He was Zubair all the way through for several years, and then suddenly, I can't remember which year it was in, he started saying, Az-Zubair, and I think, are you trying to big yourself up? Are you trying to make yourself seem special by saying, Al, the Zubair. But then upon inquiry, that name is always used as Az-Zubair. It never comes as Zubair. And I know that it'll it'd sound strange in English or in in Urdu or whatever to say Az-Zubair, Az-Zubair it, it just sounds strange So I guess Zubair works But it's actually Az-Zubair ibn al-Awwam So the father's name is Awam The son of Khuwaylid The son of Asad The Arabs in those days They used to like a lot of aggressive names Because the idea of this is That there was a constant turmoil There was a constant skirmish Between them and other tribes So Fahad and Asad You still have those names Asad Fahad Ghadanfar Layth. These are all names of these are all names of lions and other, other wild beasts. And then, when it comes to women's names, they had things like Ghazal Deer, the lion chasing the deer. Right. So they had those kind of names for women. Subhanallah. Whatever that meant. So Zubair, the son of Awam, son of Khuwaylid, son of Asad, son of Abdul Uzza, son of Qusay ibn Kilab. That's where he connects to the family tree of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. ibn Kilab. After that it becomes different, or below that it becomes different. He is one of the first of the Sahaba to become Muslim. He's within the first ten, in fact. In fact, they say that he's either the fourth or the fifth person to become Muslim. The fourth or the fifth person to become Muslim after Abu Bakr as siddiq radiallahu anhu. Ibn Ishaq relates that, Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu. I've mentioned this before in some of the other uh, talks we've had that Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu is responsible for Zubayr ibn al-Awwam, Uthman ibn Affan, Talha, another one of the Ashara Mubashara, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, and Saad ibn Abi Waqqas. So essentially, it's like the Prophet said that whoever was brought into Islam by Abu Bakr Siddiq radiyallahu anhu, they were the best chosen ones, and all of them become part of the ten. It's amazing. I mean, if if that is all Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu anhu had to show on the day of judgment, that I've got these people within the faith, then that is more than enough. That's quite amazing. There's one hadith that has been coming to mind. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi said that when a person dies, their actions stop because you're physically now not able to do anything. You're dead. So you can't carry on doing any actions. So you stop getting reward because you don't have a means to do actions anymore. He says, except three things. One of them is a charity that continues to benefit. A sadaqa jari of some sort. Number two, some ilm that you teach, some knowledge that you've taught somebody and that continues. And number three, a righteous child who makes dua for you. And that got me thinking, Do I have any of these investments made? Have I made any of these investments? Because when I die, I can't carry on. When you're alive, you can do some salat, you can do some sadaqah, you can do some worship, you can help out people. But once you're dead, then why not leave behind an investment? And these are the three examples that have been given. So Abu Bakr Siddiq, he he brings all of these people into Islam. And they must have brought other people into Islam And all the great work they did He gets all of their reward So think for yourself as well If you are to die What have you left behind? What is the investment you've left behind? You may set your children up That is a big idea for a lot of people To set our children up Are we going to set our children up Just for the world Or do we also want to set them up So that they can actually remember us The only way they're going to do that Is if we do something right now Like if I get along with my children And as a project in December holidays Do something for my deceased mother Or my grandmother or grandfather They see them doing it And that becomes a family tradition That we need to do things for our deceased So when I'm no longer there My wife's no longer there They'll hopefully do something If you're not going to train them Where do you expect them to make dua for you afterwards So think about this The holidays are coming Think about these things What can you do to start an environment in the house To care about our deceased To do things for them Whether that be giving sadaqah on their path In their behalf Doing some other deed in their name And donating the reward to them Or whatever the case is We have to have that tradition Otherwise what do we expect for ourselves If we don't do it for our deceased So his mother, now he comes, uh, uh, Zubayd ibn al-Awwam comes from an amazing family. He's got these amazing connections everywhere. And he's the product of that. And there's no doubt why he's a great person then. You know who his mother was? His mother was Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib. You remember the one who attacked uh, the disbelievers when they tried to attack the women? The auntie of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His, the Prophet ﷺ's father's sister, that is Zubayd ibn al-Awam, radiyallahu anhu's mother. She used to, it says that she used to beat him quite a bit. This is not to justify beating; it's just that she used to. And somebody said, "Why are you doing that for?" Said, "I want to make him strong." That was one of her exact words, but it was something to that nature that I want to make him strong. She was a very powerful woman in that sense, radiyallahu anha. His wife, another immensely powerful woman. And if you want to know more about her I don't have time to speak about her in detail But the sister of Aisha Was his wife Asma bin Abi Bakr, Who lived over a hundred years And challenged Hajjaj ibn Yusuf And the two then become the The parents of Abdullah ibn Zubair Who nearly ruled the entire Muslim lands When he became the Khalif So this is quite an amazing family That you have here So His father-in-law is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. He had a number of other wives as well. Uh, When he passed away, he had four wives. But then he had others as well. And in total, these are the the names of his children. Abdullah, he's the most famous. Abdullah ibn Zubayr is the most famous. Abdullah, Urwa, Munzir, Asim, Muhajir, Khadija al-Kubra. The... Older Khadija, the elder, Ummul Hasan and Aisha. All of them were the daughters, were the sons and daughters of Asma anha, with him. So that's eight children from Asma. Anha. Then he had Khalid, Amr, Habiba, Sauda and Hind from Ummu Khalid, another wife. Then he had Mus'ab and Hamza and Ramallah. Their mother was Rabab bin to Unayf. Then he had Ubaidah and Ja'far. Their mother was Zainab. So that's 17 and 18. The 19th child was Zainab. Her mother was Umm Kulthum. And the 20th one was Khadija Al-Sugra. He loved Khadija so much, he gives another Khadija. Two. um, Have you ever seen anybody with children the same name? So he had two. One was Khadija Al-Kubra, the older one. And Khadija, the younger. Her mother was uh, Halal Bintu Qais. 20 children. MashaAllah. And he had enough money, mashallah, to spend on them as well. It's like the more children you get, Allah gives you more money it seems. So of course he's one of the ten that have been given the glad tidings of paradise. He's also one of the six committee that Umar radiallahu anhu made. We've dealt, we've dealt with that in detail in uh, Umar radiallahu anhu's end of his life. When he was about to pass away, he made the committee of six people to say the next khalif will be among them. They need to decide. And they were the rest of the ashara, mubashara, most of them. And Umar radiallahu anhu said that these are the six that when the Prophet passed away, he was satisfied with them. It says that he was whitish complexion, very tall. And light-bodied, but very tall. In fact, it says that he was so tall that when he used to get on a horse, his feet could touch the ground. So he was quite tall. He became Muslim as the fourth or fifth person. When he became Muslim, he was only <clears throat> he was only eight years old then. And then, <coughs> he migrated when he was 18 Remember the Habasha He went to Habasha Abyssinia in the first migration Second migration He went to Habasha So he was 8 And then 18 when he migrated So he was into it Right from the beginning From a young age It wasn't all easy for him by the way His uncle was very much against him Most is like his mater- paternal uncle He used to roll him up in a mat He used to roll him up in a mat And then he used to put him next to smoke He used to have smoke uh, burn a fire and have smoke then uh, come into the rolled mat until he was unable to uh, unable to sorry breathe and he would say to him Uqfur Rabbi Muhammad deny the Lord of Muhammad and I'll remove all of this persecution from you but Zubayr radiAllahu anhu says La a'udu lil kufri I will never return to disbelief I'm never gonna return to disbelief. So then he finally migrated to Habasha twice And then he came back And then after that he was with the Prophet Sallallahu throughout In every expedition Every time they went out in a battle Or an expedition He was with him There was never once Where he stayed behind He was one of the bravest Just like his ranks along uh, alongside Hamza and Ali anh. You know about them He is There's a One of the scholars say that there are three people who are considered to be the bravest of the Arabs of that time. One was Ali, one was Hamza, and one was Zubair ibn al-Awam. In fact, he is known at his young age to be the first person to draw a sword in Medina Munawwara. There was no reason to at that time. They hadn't been attacked yet. But on one occasion, what happened is there was a sound that was heard there was this rumor that went round that the Prophet ﷺ has just been martyred or killed. So Zubair just got up. He was quite young at the time. I think he was only about 12 years old or something, if not younger. He takes out his sword and he goes to the street and is just like a whirlwind, it says. kal Like a tornado, like a whirlwind. He's just going around looking for that who, who's done this to the Prophet ﷺ. So finally the Prophet ﷺ was around, obviously. He met him and he said, What are you doing? madakia ya Zubair. I heard that you've been killed So what were you going to do then? So then he said Wallahi I was going to take care of the whole of Makkah All the people of Makkah I was going to take care of right. The Prophet ﷺ made a lot, of, a lot of du'a for him And made du'a that his sword will always dominate Will always be victorious He was only 12 years old it says in one narration He was only 12 years old at that time So he was just I mean that was the culture of the time And you could do these things at that time You know you can't have kids with swords nowadays You'd get in big trouble I mean that's just not the right thing to do nowadays So Amr ibn Mus'ab ibn Zubayr His grandson The son of Mus'ab who was his son So Amr ibn Mus'ab ibn Zubayr relates That Zubayr, his grandfather uh, He fought with the Prophet when he was only 12 years old, generally the Prophet ﷺ didn't allow young children to fight with him. It wasn't some of the children who really wanted to go out with them because it sounds cool or whatever at that time. They would have to, once somebody insisted and they, the Prophet ﷺ made him, made him wrestle with somebody. And only when he proved himself, okay fine you can come. Otherwise there was no child soldier business in those days. It says that he was so brave, he used to always be at the front. He used to always be at the front. Ibn Abi Zinad relates that during the Khandaq, there were very few casualties during Khandaq, during the trench. right? Because eventually a war did not take place. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a massive storm and they, 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 they left, the, the disbelievers left. But there were a few people that were killed in that. So what happened in that is Zubayr ibn al-Awam radiallahu anhu, He struck Uthman ibn Abdullah ibn al-Mughira, who's on the other side, with his sword on his helmet. And he literally cut him down to the saddle bow of his horse. And then somebody said to him, or people said, what a wonderful sword you have. And he got very angry with them. He said, this is not the sword, this is me. This is my power. So he got quite upset, what they said. During the battle of Yarmouk, which was much later, obviously, he was one of the most valor, one with the greatest valor of those who attended that battle. It says that (coughs) twice, from the beginning to the end, he cut through the rows of the Roman army and got to the other side, came back again without getting hurt. Meaning, without... Alive That's You know how big the army was in Yarmouk It was massive He went from one side to the other And he came back Cutting through the ranks However He was struck twice in his nape During that battle he he, he, He didn't come out completely free of blemish But he came back alive But it was known that He'd been in so many battles that he had numerous marks over his body Numerous marks over his body In fact one of them One of his children could actually put their finger into it It was a deep gash Which had then probably coalesced over And anybody who saw him says that On his chest He had he had marks on his chest That that were like eyes So he, he was obviously scarred Through all of that But Zubayr ibn al-Awwam During the battle of badr he wore a yellow turban a yellow turban and what's amazing is that when you hear about the angels who descended during the battle of uhud uh, battle of badr as well it says that they also came with yellow turbans at that time now maybe that's a coincidence however you want to look at it but it's mentioned he wore one and they were seen with yellow turbans as well ummu urwa binti ja'far she relates from her sister aisha who relates from her father from her grandfather Zubayr, so this is one of their grandchildren, one of his grandchildren, reporting that the Prophet ﷺ, during the conquest of Makkah, you know, when they walked into Makkah with victory, he gave Zubayr ibn al Awam, he gave him Saad ibn Ubada's banner as well. So he, and that's a big deal. To, they, you only give banners to people you can trust, and you know they're brave and they can lead. He gave him Saad ibn Ubadah's banner as well So Zubayr radiallahu an entered Makkah With two banners on that day He was very close to the Prophet He was always at the forefront Extremely brave And that is why The Prophet وسلم, I don't think has done this for many people at all Abdullah ibn Zubayr His son relates That during the Ahzab During the, that trench Khandaq I was with Umar ibn Abi Salama I was placed among the women to look after them I was placed with Umar ibn Abi Salama Abdullah ibn Zubair was placed with Umar ibn Abi Salama Abdullah ibn Zubair was quite young at the time And I suddenly saw that my father Zubair Radiallahu anhu, is going back and forth with his horse Like he disappeared and he came back He went to the Banu Quraidha This was the Jewish tribe And uh, When he came back I said Oh my father I keep seeing you going back and forth So his father said Oh my son did you see me He said yes He says the Prophet ﷺ had had offered Or had requested That who will go to the Banu Quraiva And then let me know what they're doing Bring me information about them What's their position right now So I went And when I came back he was really excited. So when I came back, the Prophet Wasallam, he combined both of his parents for me. He basically said, "May my father and my mother be sacrificed for you." The Prophet hasn't said that for many people at all. So Zubayr ﷺ was very, very excited about this. Is hadith related by Bukhari Muslim. That's why there's another narration of Imam Ahmad, which mentions that the Prophet Wasallam said that every prophet has a Hawari. You know in the Qur'an you have Hawari of Isa alayhi salam His very close disciples and helpers So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi named Zubair an his Hawari The Prophet sallallahu had many helpers Many many sahaba who would all be ready to die for him, no doubt But he gave this special title only to Zubair ibn al-Awam radiallahu an. He says, every Prophet has a Hawari And my Hawari, my special assistant is Zubair an." They were cousins as well, right? Because he, he, uh, Zubayr was the, do, was the son of the Prophet's aunt. So they were cousins. They also had relationship between the father's side as well. Now Zubayr, anh, another thing was that he was a Tajir. He was a businessman. And I think I've told you before that he's one of the millionaires of the, of the Ashara Mubashara. Now just look at this. This is just amazing. He was a tajir from one of the most wealthiest people of the time, but one of the greatest spenders in the path of Allah. He would say, "This was his motto: 'من استطاع منكم أن يكون له جنون من عمل صالح فليفعل.'" I just spoke about the rights at the beginning. Anybody who is able to have a harvest of good deeds—you know, when you're growing something—to have a field of good deeds, crops that are growing. Of good deeds They should do so Because one day They will harvest them So On one occasion He sold a house of his For Six hundred thousand And somebody It was very cheap The way he sold it But maybe the person Needed it or something Somebody said to him You've been conned You've been conned Basically You've been taken advantage of He said Kalla never Wallahi Lat'a'lamanna you, you, you should know for sure that I can't be robbed I know my business basically This is done purposely to make it in the path of Allah To help somebody out Zubayr says that he had a thousand slaves The purpose of these slaves was not to help him Their job was to go and work And just pay him a fee and that fee would not enter his house. They would bring their, whatever they did that day, they would have to pay a fee. It's like taxi drivers, you know, you tell them you, you, you give them a car, you pay me this much at the end of the day, right? There were thousand of them, they were dedicated. That was his army for his good deeds. At the end of the day, all that money would be collected and it'd be distributed. He would then go into his house without any of that money. Now tell me, isn't it possible for somebody who has lots of properties, that he just designates one property I know people who've done this by the way I don't know too many people in the UK but I know in South Africa there's a lot of people who've done this thing you know they're wealthy people they've dedicated one property or one business They've actually some people have actually started businesses purely for this sake they've got lots of businesses they see opportunities all the time they've invested in another business with the pure intention that now I've made my investment of 30000 20000 10000 whatever it is small seed capital you put in any profits from here will be fi sabilillah lots of people have done that and that's exactly what he's doing with a thousand a thousand slaves ya allah just all for the for the sake of allah he he was obsessed by martyrdom it seemed <coughs> His best friend was Talha The other one of the Ashramoy We're going to be speaking about him soon inshallah. That's why you always You know like you have Abu Bakr and Umar Abu Bakr and Umar radiyallahu anhu all the time Talha, Zubair, Talha, Zubair They're always together They even died together eventually So Talha ibn Ubaidillah He loved the names of the prophets right? Like the Gujaratis do right? Ibrahim, Ismail, Ishaq, right? Yaqub that's the Gujaratis. They like names of prophets. Right. Um, the Pakistanis they like Persian names, especially with the women. They love their Persian names. Right? Um, it's just tradition. So Talha ibn Ubaidillah. They yeah, the Gujaratis they like uh, prophet names for the. Uh, it used to be just prophet name for the men and for the girls it used to always be. Sahabiyat and Maryam, right? That was very, very typical, right? Uh, Now they've moved on to Sahaba, so now you have your Hudayfas and Muawiyahs and others as well now. By the way, I've been meaning to say this for a long time. How many of you don't have a surname? Yeah, really sad, man. You guys are lost cause if you don't have a surname. You need surnames. You know, like these people had surnames, kurashi, something like that. It told you which family they come from. Nowadays, there's people they get born, the father's name is something else, surname. The son's name, oh, his surname is Ahmed. Man, Ahmed's a first name. What's your problem, man? His father his father Ali. Ali is a first name. Ali is not a distinguished name, like a family name. It's all about nasab. Find a family name and find your, you must have a family name somewhere, find it, use it. What is this? Just Ahmad, you're going to be lost in history. Nobody's going to know who's Ahmad. Saleh Ahmad, Yusuf Ya'qub. And they like, sound like both first names. I'm, I, I don't want to, I'm not insulting anybody. It's just that in Islam, there's a concept. I'm not saying it's haram not to have it. Don't get me wrong. It's just a good idea to have a family name liki so that i can understand okay he's from this okay i know people from your family you know otherwise you have to make too many connections anyway that was a side point talha ibn ubaydillah he loved the names of angels so all of his children he gave them names of sorry prophets he gave them names of prophets abdullah ibn zubayr said that i know there's no prophet after muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam Right? There's no prophets after the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi But I'm going to call my children by the name, names of the shuhada The earliest martyrs in Islam So now look at this And he says لَعَلَّهُمْ يَسْتَشْهِدُوا So that maybe they'll be martyred as well That was his focus right? So Abdullah ibn Zubair He called him after Abdullah ibn Jahash Who was martyred His son Munzir was called after Munzir ibn Amr Radhi Anhu Urwa, Urwa ibn Mas'ud عنه, who had been martyred, Hamza Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Ja'far Ja'far ibn Abi Talib right? another son Mus'ab, Mus'ab ibn Umair, who had been martyred before Ubaidah, Ubaidah ibn Al-Harith Radhiya Khalid Khalid ibn Sa'id, and Amr was uh, Amr ibn Sa'id ibn Al-As who, who martyred during the Yarmouk battle now what happens is after Uthman became martyred, I've dealt with this issue in quite depth uh, in Uthman's talk and in Ali Ali's discussion. And I, I'm not going to go through it in detail, but I'm just going to refer you. You can listen to those talks if you want to. Uh, the four Khulafat, they, they are available on through rayyaninstitute.com and the other talks there on zamzamacademy.com So I'm not going to go into depth about the whole, you know, Skirmishes that took place between Ali radiAllahu and Aisha radiAllahu and Talha ibn Zubayr and then Muawiyah—that's very detailed. But because he played a part in that, I'm going to mention just the relevant points. So this is now initially, after Uthman radiAllahu anhu is martyred, Aisha radiAllahu is coming back from Makkah Mukarrama. She hears that he's been martyred, so she discusses with people. People discuss with her, and they decide that we need to avenge Uthman radiAllahu Ali radiAllahu anhu in the meantime has been made the khalifa people have taken the uh, have given him the pledge and some people are saying that he's not going after the murderers of Uthman radiyallahu an these people say no we must ask for that to be taken care of first who joins her Talha and Zubair radiAllahu an now what happens is they they were they were they had actually gone for umrah eventually from there they went to basra with Aisha radiAllahu anha to try to claim the blood the the uh, the uh, to try to uh, avenge the blood of Uthman radiyallahu This was in the 36th Hijri. Talha and Zubair uh, Ali anhu is on one side and he's crying when he sees that Aisha anha is on the other side. And then suddenly in the midst of all of that who does he see? His own relative Zubair ibn al-Awam he's a cousin brother. Remember he's a cousin brother. And he sees Talha, and that makes him sad, that makes him even more sad. Long story, which I'm not going to go into, but eventually he gets to meet Zubair ibn al-Awwam. He says to him, Ya Zubair, I swear to you by Allah, do you remember such and such a day when the Prophet wasallam, you and I were in one place? We got together that day, you, I, and the Prophet wasallam." And the Prophet ﷺ said to you, O oh Zubair, by Allah, you're going to be fighting him one day. You're soon going to be fighting. You will one day be fighting him. And you will be the oppressor. You will fight him and you will be the oppressor. So Zubair ﷺ <laughs> thinks about it and says, Yes, I remember that. I remember that. nasi to قَدْ نَسِيتُهُ I'd forgotten that. I don't blame him for forgetting because when he heard they were thought, no I'm never going to fight him forget it you know I don't want to fight him he probably forgot it Ali Radyan reminds him during the middle of this says yes I remember wallahi I will not fight you immediately wallahi I will not fight you so Zubair and Talha Talha has to follow r.a they both come away they both come away they're not going to take part in this anymore then they were going to look because Ammar ibn Yasir was on Ali radiallahu side Another sahabi And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Had said something about him That Taqtuluka The rebellious side is going to kill you So if he's on Ali radiallahu side And if he gets killed in this battle That means the other side is the rebellion And is the wrong Though they had good intentions But they were on the wrong so these two moved away Now they're trying to get on their way back Abdurrahman ibn Abi Layla relates That Zubair Radhiallahu anhi Turns away during this jamal During this, uh, this skirmish of the camel On the way Abdullah his son meets him And his son was very bold Even with his father He said "Coward, Out of cowardice, cowardice He said are you being cowardly? He had a very free relationship, it seems. Right. So, Zubayr, the father, he says, بِجَبَانَ I'm, I'm not. Everybody knows. People know that I'm not a coward. But Ali has just reminded me of something that I had heard from Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I have now sworn an oath that I will not fight with him. So he wanted to follow what the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said. Then what happens is, as he's coming back, Amr ibn Jurmuth, a guy called Amr ibn Jurmuth, and Fadala ibn Habis, and a third person, whose name was Al Na'r, Al Tamimiyun, they caught up with. There's a long story, they found out that they'd left, and there was a big, there was a lot of munafiqeen in this. There were a lot of conspirators within all of this. So while the main Sahaba, Aisha and others had good intention For what they were doing But there were people trying to instigate a problem And based on that When they saw that Talhan have moved away Nothing's going to happen They wanted to deal with him So they, they, they caught up with him And they were in this place Called Wadi Siba' Which is basically the valley of the wild beasts If you want to translate it It's a, a few miles away from Basra About five miles away from Basra So as they're coming back so this Amr ibn Jurmuth One story says that Abdullah ibn Zubayr was lying, resting At night time sleeping And he attacked him while he was sleeping This was on a This was on a A, a Thursday This was on a Thursday uh, 10, The 10th of Jumada al-Ula 36 Hijri When according to this opinion He was 77 years old Others say that he was actually 50 something years old So Allah knows best Another opinion is that no, he got up He struck him, but he didn't strike him, strike him hard So Abdullah ibn Zubayr an got up And he started fighting with this Ibn Jurmudh But when the other two saw that they came and attacked him That was three against one And then finally they killed him It says that they took his head to Ali an Because they were supposed to be on that side They were supposed to be on Ali side, So they took his head to Ali an and his sword. When Ali radiallahu anhu saw the sword of Zubayr radiallah and he was well known because he was a person of great valor, he said, In the Hada Saif, this sword has possibly removed so many difficulties and pain from the Prophet Prophet's face. So he's lamenting the fact that he had been killed, despite the fact that he had been on the opposing side. Abu Nadra relates that when Zubayr Zubair radiallahu anhu's head Was brought in front of Ali radiallahu anhu Ali radiallahu anhu told the person who bought it Oh Bedouin, you need to go and make your place in hellfire You need to go and make your place in hellfire Because the Prophet the Messenger of Allah has related to me That whoever kills Zubayr is going to be in the hellfire Zir ibn Hubaysh Relates that this Ibn Jurmuth he tried to take permission from Ali An to come and see him. I was with him at the time. He says, so Ali heard that he'd killed Zubayr r.a. He said, "Bashir, give glad tidings to the murderer of the son of Safiya r.a. Zubayr, give the killer." the glad tidings of the hellfire and then ali radiallahu anhu said that i have heard rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying that every prophet has a hawari and my hawari is zubair basically you've killed the special assistance and helper of rasulullah sallallahu one opinion is that when amr ibn julmuh realized how bad what bad he had done he killed himself committed suicide but the other opinion is a bit longer in the sense that how did he eventually do that he remained alive after ali radiyallahu anhu ali radiyallahu then passed away after 4 years this Amr ibn jurmuth he remained alive for a while until that he was alive when abdullah ibn zubayr the son of zubayr became the khalif of much of the of most of the muslim lands Abdullah ibn Zubair made his brother Mus'ab The governor over Iraq That's where this guy was So initially Amr ibn Jurmudh according to this narration Started hiding He thinks now he's been made the governor Once he finds me he's going to kill me For his father Mus'ab heard about this So Mus'ab said Sent a message to him Tell him that he can be safe According to this Tell him that he can be safe. Does he think that I'm going to kill him because of the father of Abdullah? Is not worth it. I can't kill him. He's not enough for the father of Abdullah, meaning their father. You can't kill him for that. They're not equal. There's no way that he could repay that even if I killed him. That's why Musa'lim ibn Abdullah ibn Urwa relates from his father that Umayr ibn this Amr ibn Jurmud he came. So in this occasion, he actually says that he then he must have come. He put his hand into the hand of Musab. He looks like he was really remorseful. There's no doubt. It seems like he was remorseful. This is unlike the killers of Umar, r.a., who were not remorseful, right? In this case, he puts his hand and then he initially he he puts him in prison. So he writes to his brother. Abdullah ibn Zubayr, who's in Medina Munawwara, right? and uh, or Mecca Mukarrama at the time, and his brother wrote back to him, and he says that that's very bad what you've done. You should not have imprisoned him. Do you think you're going to kill a Bedouin for Zubayr radiAllahu an? You think you're going to get justice by doing that? So then he let him go. So he went and he went and stayed somewhere in the desert. Where there was a structure But it looks like he used to get bad dreams And he just had a really really miserable time So eventually he told him Told somebody to, to drop the structure over him And basically maybe that's how he was killed But God knows he came, God knows, he came into a bad ending Because he just couldn't That guilt would not go away And maybe that was what the best thing for him was at the time For himself When Ali anhu finished with burying Talha and Zubair radi an. He then stood there to say some parting words, you know when you say some parting words. And he said finally he said inni la arju an akuna ana wa Talha wa Zubair wa Uthman min alladhina qala fihim wa nazana ma fi sudurihim min ghill ikhwanan ala sirrin Quran. My hope is that Talha, Zubair and Uthman For whom all of this was happening And myself That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Make us of those About whom he says in the Quran That we have removed all forms of Ill feelings From their hearts And they will be like brothers Sitting on the great Thrones in paradise In front of one another That's my hope that this little problem that we had here will be removed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he looked at, for the last time at the grave and he said that my ears, these two ears of mine have heard Rasulullah s.a.w. saying, Talha and Zubayr are my, are my neighbors in paradise. Related by Imam Tirmidhi. So Imam Bukhari says that he died in Rajab. In 36 Hijri, in Wadi Sibah, which is close to Basra in Iraq today. According to one opinion, he was 64 or 70, or uh, according to some, he was just over 50. They didn't really count these things in those days. I'm assuming he'd probably be old, about 64, because, you know, it's been quite a while. Look at his wasiyyah now. Before he passed away, he told his son how to deal with his estate, and this is amazing. Abdullah ibn Zubayr says that during that time when he was in that He knew he was going to be killed it seemed Because he told his son, today I think I'm going to be killed He could feel it So he told his son that I've got a lot of people to pay off I've got a lot of people to pay off And the reason for this is that people used to, he was very trustworthy So people used to come to give him money to look after He would say, look, instead of me looking after it as a amana, Give it to me as a loan so that way I'm liable Because if, if it's just as an amana, It could get lost But give it to me as a loan The difference between the two is that if, you, if somebody gives me money to look after I'm not able to use that money I just have to look after it I can't start investing it But if you give it to me as a loan I can invest it There's a bit more risk in there But there's more liability in there Because the money is into something Do you understand? So I'm liable now I owe it to you So that's what he would do So lots of people had given him money To look after Huge amounts So he told his son That you need to sell my assets And if I can't If there's not enough money to pay back The people I owe فَاسْتَعِنْ عَلَيْهِ بمولايا. He kept saying this You need to seek assistance from my lord Mawla in those days Lord could be my master Right, my master My master could be a Generally slaves said that about their owners In those days so he kept saying that. So Abu, uh, Abdullah, ibn um, uh, Abdullah uh, his son, said, Wallahi ma ma arad. I couldn't understand what he was saying. What did he mean by that? So I said, "Ya abati man Oh my father, who is this master of yours? So he said, Allah. Allah is my master. He, and then Abdullah says that when I was trying to repay people, any time I would face a difficulty... I would just say, "Ya Mawla Zubair, O Master of Zubair, iqdi anhu, repay on his behalf, and Allah would make it easy. Allah would facilitate it." So, as I said, he had these huge amounts of so-called loans that he'd taken, right for people. We, he says, we counted, calculated the amount of loan that he was supposed to pay, and you know how much it was. It was Alf for mi'atay Alf. That's 2,200,000 2,200,000 He didn't But the problem is he hadn't left a penny No dinars or dirhams All of his wealth was in assets Pieces of land He owned this whole forest it seemed And he He had a lot of He had a lot of other properties No cash though Because he was He was just give his cash away right He had a lot of property land he had a house in medina a palace i think it's still I, I think it may still be around the remnants of it i think it may be unesco now you know preserved so it's, it's more like a it was more like a fort he had a house in basra one in kufa and one in egypt so he owned properties mashallah shanghai bombay dubai you know in these days as you'd see say right those were the cities of those days but never once did he become emir of anything so none of this money was taken through, you know, when you become a governor. Never he became a ta- never did he become a tax collector, right? Never anything like that. The only thing that he had done is was he was with the Prophet in all of the battles with Abu Bakr in all the battles with Umar in all the battles. That's all he done, and then he did business and with Uthman ﷺ. So the children of Zubayr ﷺ, the rest of them, twenty children so they told abdullah who was the he was the responsible one can you give us our mirath you need to distribute the mirath the the inheritance so what, what happened is they started selling the piece of land and they started paying people off then the children they started asking for the distribution so abdullah radiyallahu anhu said wallahi la uksimu bainakum I'm not going to distribute the wealth among you For four years I'm going to announce for four years الموسم, During the Hajj period I'm going to announce four, ta- four years in a trot That is there anybody who is owed Any money by, by Zubayr Four times I'm going to do that So every year he would do this For four years Then only after that now, now today Subhanallah You know if somebody dies And you, they owed you money You can just about forget it The children aren't going to give you Unless they're very decent people Oh that was my father's problem That was my father's problem You'd have to go to court And I don't know what you'd have to do But no the good people And I know people like this today Who were from other countries When they came here The first thing they did When they started working Aside from sending money back to their parents Who used to be in their uh, Homes of origin you know, In their places of origin Is to pay off their debts To make it debt free first That is so important if, you, if your parents have debts Please pay them off Help them pay it off If they've died then pay them off That is something they will be punished for possibly on the, Most likely So he did this Now look at the barakah he, got, he paid everybody off that he had to pay, the, the two million something, whatever it was. After that, the rest of the assets, you know how much they were worth? Because that was a big loan that he already had. It's all paid off. The assets that he had, out of that he had already said that one third, he'd done some wasiyah, one third has to go to certain places. Besides that. So taking that one third out, And then taking out the 2,200,000 that we initially had He was then Left with so much That he had four wives when he passed away Each one of his wives received 1,200,000 You know how much they get? That's four wives They are sharing in one-eighth of his property They're sharing in one eighth. So if each wife got that, 1,200,000 times four, what is that? 4,800,000. That equals to one eighth of his wealth. That's why it says that whatever he had left was 59,800,000. That is what was left. 59,800,000. Who says that you can't be wealthy and rich? And still be one of the greatest and righteous people in the world right? That's a crazy amount And you know what, this is not dirhams These are dinars, these are gold pieces Today gold pieces, gold dinars 20 dinars are worth 2,000 pounds approximately Just 20 dinars are worth about 2,000 pounds Give or take fluctuation. They say dinars, the price is quite accurate So imagine what 59,800,000 is worth like give fluctuate, whatever you want to, you know, take off get take a conservative um, estimate on that. That's a huge amount of wealth. It's all the barakah of those hundred slaves or whoever or the what is it, hundred slaves? A thousand slaves, purely for the sake of Allah. Ibn Kathir Rahimahullah says that all of this money, don't think that, you know, because you can stipe and you can usurp other people's rights when you know he says this is all halal money that he had received You know from booty and other things that he had uh, taken part in And from halal tijara That he had received this And this is of course after giving zakat for it every year This is after paying zakat of it every year So it's decreased already And people think if I give zakat it's going to decrease They don't understand that that is just getting rid of the, wo- the dirt in the wealth That's all you're doing When you pay zakat You're getting rid of the dirt in the wealth and you're getting dirt, rid of the dirt in your body in your, in your spiritual life So you're going to get barakah There's going to be cleaner wealth he's going to do better for you And all of the other help that he'd given to people throughout his life You know that every night he would distribute that money That's why There were seven Sahaba Big Sahaba Who had made, uh, who had made Zubayr ibn al-Awam عن, Responsible for the upkeep of their family after their death one was Uthman radiallahu anha. Now if Uthman needs somebody like that, he needs Zubair radiallahu anh. right? Because one you was know, is very wealthy. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abdurrahman Rahmar ibn Auf, the other billionaire. And others. But these were the three main ones who had made him responsible. After their death, to look after his family. He would spend on their, on their family as well. And that's why... Just to remind us of who we're speaking about The Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith related by Imam Tirmidhi Abu Bakr fil Jannah Umar fil Jannah Uthman fil Jannah Ali fil Jannah Talha fil Jannah Zubair fil Jannah Abdurrahman ibn Awf fil Jannah would fil Jannah Sa'id fil Jannah Abu Ubaida ibn al-Jarrah fil Jannah And this is who they are This is their life How are we going to learn from it? What can we take from it? We can relate to Abdullah ibn Zubayr. We can relate to Zubayr ibn awam in terms of having enough wealth and everything else that we may have. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also grant us the barakah that he gave him. May Allah also give us the righteousness that he gave him. May Allah also give us the focus on the hereafter that he gave him as well. Abdullah ibn Zubayr finally wasn't one to relate too many hadith. He was very considerate. That's why Bukhari and Muslim only have two narrations. That they agree upon from Abdullah ibn Zubair Then Imam Bukhari has four other hadith That Imam Muslim doesn't relate And Imam Muslim has one hadith That Imam Bukhari doesn't relate Amir ibn Abdullah ibn Zubair Relates from his father Abdullah ibn Zubair said to his father How come you don't transmit too much And relate too much from Rasulullah Just like Abdullah ibn Masood? when You've been with him for such a long time You're one of the earliest Muslims How come you don't relate so many hadith?" So he says that, look, I've never left the Prophet i I've always been with him. Abdullah ibn mas'ud came later, right? I've always been with him since I've become Muslim. I was a young child. And, but I've heard him say that, Man That whoever lies against me, they should make his place in the hellfire. I just don't want to take that risk. Because you could say something wrong, is very careful about what he may say, what he may not say. He didn't want to change any words or anything. So he didn't relate that much. That was just one thing about him. Same as Abu Bakr as siddiq There's not that many hadith from him either compared to Abu Hurairah, Abdullah ibn Masood and others. He was also very careful. In fact, he had a collection of hadith that he, he had them burnt. He said, look, I'm not 100% sure. I just want to." it's just over-cautious, very cautious. May Allah subhanahu wa taala grant us the barakah of these people. And really, by listening to these people, the mercy does come down because it does something for our hearts. So may Allah give us the right response to that. Wa khairud-dawwana. Anilhamdulillah. Oh Rabbil alamin. Allahumma anta s-salam wa minka salam Tabarak tihad al-jalal wal-ikram. Allahumma ya hajj ya qiyom bi rahmatika nastaghit. Allahumma ya hananu ya manan la ilaha illa anta Subhanaka. Inna kunna min al-ḍārimin. O Allah, we ask you for your mercy. We ask you for your clemency. We ask you for your forbearance. We ask you for your guidance. Oh Allah, we ask you for your light. Oh Allah, we've sat here and we've discussed these great individuals. Surely they were be loved to you. Oh Allah, we want to enliven their mention. We want to benefit from their stories. Oh Allah, we want to benefit from their lives in this world. Oh Allah, we ask that while we can never be of those ten that were given the glad tidings of paradise, but oh Allah, at least make us of those who will enter paradise without having to be questioned. O oh Allah, our love for these people, O oh Allah, make it sincere. O oh Allah, our love for these people, make it strong. Allow us to do what's right. Allow us to follow in their footsteps of doing what's correct. O oh Allah, to, read a right, to lead a righteous life and to be focused in making you happy, to spend in your path as they did. O oh Allah, we ask that you assist us and help us. You grant us children like you gave them. And O oh Allah, you give us the understanding like you gave them you give us the qurb and the love of your messenger like you gave them oh Allah we ask you we ask you despite our broken du'as despite our weakness of our state O Allah despite the paucity of our deeds O Allah we ask that you allow us also to leave people that will do something for us children that will pray for us charity that will work for us knowledge that will benefit us O oh Allah, make us of those who are thoughtful about these things. O oh Allah, bless all of those who have sat here this evening. O oh Allah, when they could have been doing so many other things. O oh Allah, we know that you don't let any action go to waste. Oh Allah, make this a source of sincerity. Make this sincere for us. O oh Allah, accept our du'as and send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi wa sallam. Allah, we've also had some requests to make du'a for those who are sick among us. Oh Allah, we ask you for a complete cure from the, from the sicknesses that people are feeling. O oh Allah, and complete relief of, relief of the oppression and dhulm and subjugation that our Muslim brothers and sisters are faring around the world. And oh Allah, we ask you to fulfill our permissible needs and guide us. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.